everybody. Welcome back to Contest Prep University. I'm Joe Klimczewski with Adam Atkinson. Our last episode, we did a feature segment on the current state of coaching. And I thought, Adam, to follow that up with the future of coaching would be critically important for those who are in the industry trying to build a coaching practice. And it, it's kind of been on my mind for a couple of weeks. I've been talking to a lot of our coaches, some new staff in our company. Uh, we even did an episode in our Flexible Dieting podcast with our education director and dietetics director about client coaching communication, how that works. And it really kind of dove into the entire topic of what's current, what's new, what, what do people in culture need from a coach? Because it's incredibly different um, in different people's perspectives. And, and chronologically, as our industry has grown, things have changed unbelievably, I think. So first, my, uh, tell me or tell the audience when you started coaching. I know it was around 10 to 12 years ago. Well, I started in 2002, just at a general YMCA. It wasn't for competitors, but it was lifestyle athletes, um, people with health issues. Uh, one of my fourth or fifth clients had a uh, heart surgery and had stents put in as well. So I started way back in the day and then it just really progressed with the education and what really made me was linking up with you and kind of finalizing some things that I thought were true, but on the internet and um, even through, you know, um, certification programs, you would hear two sides of the story. And then there really wasn't much offered for physique sport mentorship back then. So when I had linked up with you, you had confirmed a lot of the things that I felt were true with myself and my clients. Cause I, I just knew whenever I cut water, I'm like, that may work for some people, but it doesn't work for me. It doesn't seem to work for a majority of my clients. And then um, Ashley Barnhart had linked us up and she's like, you're going to love this guy. He doesn't cut water either. And uh, I was like, I've actually read some of his stuff and he's who kind of confirmed my thoughts on this. And you were literally the only one who was speaking of that. Uh, so that was kind of cool. What what a, what a perfect start because in 2002, you know, I had a similar start. I think everybody who gets into nutrition coaching or has, has some foundation in health and fitness. So I came from a physical therapy background academically, had just finished my first doctorate in nutrition. I was already a WNBF pro bodybuilder. So obviously all of these things led me to, to the place that you already were, which was, you know, in a gym, personal training, helping general population clients. Then uh, it was just kind of the next thing. If I hadn't pioneered some of the things I did in contest prep, as well as personal nutrition coaching, somebody would. I mean, it was it was the next thing necessary for our culture. The big roadblock at that time was the entire dietetics industry as a political organization had simply blocked anybody legislatively from doing it unless they were an RD or an MD. So speaking with an intellectual property attorney, I made sure I did everything right with licensing, having a, a medical director, a dietetics director on staff, and that really created a path forward for the industry. And that's when you and I met. 
And so going from those foundational days of being in health and fitness, and then seeing this pathway forward where I can get much more specific with nutrition coaching. Uh, I, I literally had a uh, video chat this morning with a client I first worked with in 2008. So 15 years later, she's linking back up with me. And she said, wow, like what a difference. Like everything you're doing now from the way you communicate, your app, technology, the things you're teaching me, that is not at all what we did 15 years ago. And of course, it was it's all better now because we just have so much more experience as an industry, so much more research at our fingertips and just the ways we can communicate. So I'm curious now, once you had taken that step from all of your work in more of a community interface in Columbus, Ohio, to becoming one of the first big high growth online coaches, what what has that step been like from those first days when you start promoting yourself as an online nutrition coach for contest prep to today? I mean, that's that again, 10, 12, 15 years in that span. I'm, I'm sure you have seen incredible changes. And those are the things I want to talk about today. Yeah, like the differences between what it was like then versus now. You know, I think for me, being one of the first coaches to really promote macros pretty heavily. However, I had a really in the middle approach. I kind of had to, um, you know, Mike Davies was in my backyard. And if people don't know who Mike is, Mike is probably one of the leading coaches in the industry back then. He was super successful. So here I am, this you know, little boy at the time compared to Mike, who had years of experience and tons of Olympia champions. Um, so I kind of had to divide the line. I didn't necessarily have a lot of his athletes come to me, but that was that was what people did. If they didn't work with Mike, they used one of Mike's plans from another client to get their success. So when they wanted a change from meal planning, but yet they were afraid to do it, I kind of had to divide that line between meal planning and macros. But selling myself as a macro coach online was brand new to a lot of people and um, scary for some. Some were ready to dive in. And I think most were ready to dive in. Locally, it was a little difficult because you know, Mike was the king of kind of meal plans. So this was so opposite of what anyone else in the area was doing. So for me to survive, I had to do online coaching because people weren't as open-minded to come to macros. So I had to get my people out of state, bring them in state. And this is how we kind of started encompassing people and bringing them into our home to stay a weekend and come to a show and compete. So we really had to go above and beyond to make a name for ourselves. And, uh, you know, I'll always embrace the grind and the hustle. And I, I think that still stands true today. Um, one of the best life hacks is work hard and uh, it'll always be returned well. Um, so that stands true, but it's not as easy because there's so many people who 
um, do what we do. We've created a lot of coaches over the course of us coaching athletes. And uh, the fact that we do it well and do it right, they usually do end up producing really good clients in return as well. So looking at that past is exactly the gateway to the future because you you mentioned Mike Davies and, and all I remember about Mike was all of a sudden women doing like 500 different kinds of lunges every day. Um, and when you look at somebody like Chris Aceto or a Chad Nichols or a Perillo or Beverly mm-hmm. Nutrition or Mike Davies, that's not coaching, in my opinion. That that was the last step before we created coaching. As you said, that was just a cookie-cutter approach. Here's what I do. Here's my philosophy. Perillo had one. Somebody had another. Aceto had another. And it's just, here's the meal plan. Here's the meal plan. Here's the meal plan. Eat this. This is all you do. And that's, to me, that's just not coaching. Um, coaching is very interactive. It's getting to know somebody's physiological and phenotypical differences and being very experimental, you know, like here's here's where I think we need to go, but I need time to really quote coach. I need to get to know your physiology, make sure we're on the right path doing things for you. When you say you dove into macros, I'm going to expand it to say macronutrient tracking based flexible dieting, because that allows us to give a client some freedom and some flexibility. It allows us to see where their natural tendencies are. And again, experiment. And then we get to help them assess and monitor and, and create appropriate changes. Like that's that's coaching. It's like somebody on a in a performance sport with the clipboard on the sidelines, you know, looking at the X and O's, team matchups, let's study game film. Like that's real coaching. So that was the beginning. Now, as you said, because because I started that, I guess you would say about 25 years ago. And I was kind of a one-man band because I had my company and the staff established to do that. As I was speaking at camps and science conferences, I was able to tell people, look, I, I have a way you can do this too, because that's what people were asking. How how do I do what you do? I, I literally got asked that everywhere I went. And so creating that licensing model allowed for it. Fast forward 10 or so years after that. So now we're in the Adam Atkinson era where you now have a way to do it. Then all of a sudden the floodgates are opened and now tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people are coaches and they're trying to build businesses in an environment where it is incredibly crowded and competitive. So you said it perfectly that you had to find a way to differentiate yourself. What am I going to do different and better that can provide viability for a literal company? I want this to be my career. How can I do that? It is way, way harder for coaches today because everybody in their own town is a coach. You're on social media, on the internet, trying to get noticed. And I mean, good luck. If you don't have a massive audience already, you've got to build that from the ground up. So if if you could tell coaches, because I, I do even want to get into what this means for clients, like what clients should expect from coaches, how do they know they have a good coach, that sort of thing. Uh, what would you tell new coaches? Like, look, you know, I, I want our industry to succeed. I know you're going to reach clients. I can't necessarily. 
Um, I, I want everybody to have a good enough piece of the pie. What is their path into the future? What do they have to do? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is being individualized and learning about the people that you're working with. And I, I think one thing that will separate a good coach from a bad coach is your ability to connect with people. And that's usually what draws people in. You know, um, I saw a video the other day. Um, a competitive team against my team, very successful team. And uh, one of the videos they captured was a girl running off stage who had gotten her pro card and hugging her coach. And I was like, man, I've had hundreds of those moments, but I've never caught it on film. But what a great sales pitch. Like, I'm like, I'm immediately sold by seeing that, you know? So having that relationship with your clients and, you know, that authenticity that's consistent, uh, it, it sells and it creates great relationship. You really have to go all in. People will say, don't take it personal if you lose people. It's personal training. It is personal. And, and I've gone through waves where I was all in. And then I was like, you know what? I got hurt a couple of times. I'm going to be just a little more reserved. And I found, you know what, I'd rather go all in and lose versus be a little bit hesitant and deserve to lose. So don't be afraid to put your heart out there. Also, try not to take it personal, but do realize it's a personal relationship and you're going to have to accept some hard losses here and there by going all in. And that's just the reality of the business. You you said enough there that that may be like everything a coach needs to know. First of all, I also had a conversation today with one of our FDI professional coach association coaches, and he has moved to a new place. He's, he's kind of rebuilding a little bit his own coaching practice. And so we were going over the nuts and bolts, A to Z. This is what you need to do from square one. And I said exactly what you just did. It's, um, you know, on the online side, you have to have the ability to capture those moments, like you said. Uh, but I want I want to back up a step and tell new coaches or coaches struggling to make it. Uh, you do have your community, your local community. That's a resource pool. You also have online. Uh, they're both incredibly viable and, and important. But you always have to ask yourself, as you mentioned, Adam, how am I getting noticed? How am I creating relationships? How am I connecting with people? And online, <clears throat> I said this a couple of years ago, as soon as everybody started the video craze, people like Gary Vaynerchuk years ago said, video, 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 like that's the future. Get on video, start a podcast, do this. Obviously, the whole world listened to him. And but now it's about quality. You know, can you have that social media presence? in a way that is high, high quality, that it's it's something people want to view and listen to, but it also has incredible value. You have to have the voice and, and the content that people want because imposter syndrome creeps in and we start thinking, well, so-and-so already says that and so-and-so is smarter than me or has a bigger folly than me and this, like, who am I? And so we start kind of shrinking back exactly like you said, and we fail to put ourselves out there with a lot of veracity. So I, I I would recommend coaches do a couple things. On the online side, 
you have to define who you are. This is who I am. This is who I'm talking to. And I have to create content that is so high utility and high value. People want to keep coming back because, I mean, how many how many hours a day do we spend here scrolling through? We have things we subscribe to and people we just can't keep up. So our first goal online is to get rid of stuff. Who can I brush to the side to get to what I really want to pay attention to today? You got to be one of those people that says something you know of such high quality that that people want to stay. But then you have to grow the audience because you can only draw from the people you have. That's a whole other story. I won't get into that. But I mean, the the, the strategies and the ways to grow your audience has to be primary because to grow your business, you grow your audience. But a lot of people miss that that local community interface. In contest prep, yes, more people are likely to look outside. You know, they can go to another, you know, coach who's in another state, another country. But still, there are a lot of competitors who would much rather trade a big name coach across the country for a really good local coach who's just right there and active and available and can put their hands on them and so forth. So I really think you need to start also creating that local community interface as you started, and I still do, a mix of lifestyle, general population clients. I love helping somebody actually recapture their entire life and health because you know they, they may never even understand what's happening on a competitive stage, but their world is important to them. And those parts of your coaching business can really be foundational to just the income and revenue that you need and allow you the time to be patient growing in other areas. So that, that said, Adam, as we look again toward the future, because I know you have to, I mean, we have these conversations, you, me, everybody has to think, okay, this is what's happening now. How am I going to be where I want to be next year, five years, 10 years? How, how do you see the real future of coaching? How are you going to be successful 10 years from now? I still think one of the old ways of business growth is still always going to be personal word of mouth. And I think that that's always going to stand true. And even with technology, a lot of people are realizing how fake social media is. Um, now there's a new website out where you can be completely anonymous and make reviews called Reddit. So, which is basically a bunch of coaches back coaches they hate acting like they're they were previous clients you know so there's no authenticity to that or no proof of what really happened or you know it's a lot of speculation um so I think it really comes down to word word of mouth and personal experience so if you truly are a good coach I think you'll your flag will always sail you know mm -hmm. You know, one of my big things, and it, it helps because I've been around so long, I've been in the same community for a long time, and that is that I'm also doing a lot of collaborative things. It's not just me trying to fight the system and get mine. It's who can I work with? Who can I help? Who who needs my skills? And, and I can help funnel business their ways. It's, it's tangential business alignment. And so I think that's incredibly important that a 
new or newish coach doesn't just think, okay, business to consumer, business to consumer. I have to just try to, you know, grab a new client where I can. How many inquiries am I getting per week or per month? And, you know, how are my clients doing? Where are you looking outside of your own business to make sure that you can plug in and become a, a collaborator with other people? I think that's important. Uh, I, I would also ask you, Adam, just on the client side, when we talk about the future of coaching, how has your ability to not only communicate with, but educate and support clients, how has that changed in the last 15 years? And, and where do you think that ultimately goes in the next few years? Technology has changed a lot to help me um, versus typing. You know, you can send an audio message to a client or you can actually see someone face to face on a Zoom, which is kind of nice to see people's body language. It's a lot more expressive when you're doing problem solving, too. It's super helpful. Um, but recently, um, this past year, we had added daily Zoom calls for my clients. Anyone can join in. So they can jump in every day and have a conversation with me if they want. A lot of my clients like doing their check-ins through there, like having their check-ins done publicly. And I'm willing to do that because I know my program's not cookie cutter. So I'm not exposed at all. You can hear what this person's macros are because yours are way different. So I have nothing to really like fear there. And people can actually hear the process and have faith in the process by hearing what's going on behind scenes. Mm -hmm. What do you think the next two, three, five years looks like? What, what, what are things that you see culturally perhaps changing, um, you know, making even more important for a coach to be aware of in terms of client service and connection? I honestly think my platform and doing that is going to be something that's a little more mainstream. It's pretty early, but I've already had a lot of people DM me and say, I wish my coach would do that. And he said he won't. So I'm going to switch to you when my contract is over. And I've had people say, my coach actually added this because of you. So I do think that it's kind of the new macros per se, and it's kind of catching on. And, you know, I think the flexibility of online coaching and the schedule is great. Um, but I do think that that's going to kind of separate clients and to go different directions. If they can have a coach, even if they're not local online, that's willing to set aside time to talk to you every day, I think that's a, a huge difference. And especially publicly making the changes, you really put your neck out there. So um, I guarantee the coaches that are just sending the same meal plan to everyone, they're not going to allow that to happen. So evolve or die, you know? It's funny you say that because a another coach of mine I was speaking to this week, uh, I, I, I use this phrase. First of all, it's because he is a coach, somebody approached him kind of trying to poach him, you know, how everybody has staff and coaches and so forth who works for them and all that. And, um, and I said, look, you know, first of all, that that's normal, like expect that. Um, but I don't 
play that game. Like I, I'm not trying to get somebody else's clients to think I'm a better coach and come over to me. I'm not trying to scoop up coaches from other people. It, I'm a bit maybe passive in this, maybe secure and confident is another way to say it, but also just ethical. I, I feel in that old school way, if I'm good enough and, and I'm doing what I'm doing well, then that will attract people. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's the end of the story. I'm I'm going to worry about what I do and let the chips fall where they may. With good free enterprise competition, that just forces me to be better than anybody else, which I'm more than happy to take up that task. But here's what I told my coach: I said because so much communication flies around, like you said, in Reddit, you know, Substacks and so forth. Um, you have to consider the normalization of personal nutrition coaching, contest prep coaching. I don't even have many middle-aged general population people come to me who hasn't already worked with a nutrition coach. Like it's just so normalized now. So I said, you have to expect that as people see videos of somebody running off the stage and jumping into their coach's arms and maybe they didn't have a great season and maybe it was their coach's fault, maybe not, every single client at the end of every single season is a free agent. They're looking, they're shopping, they want to do better next year. So you have to be the person out there with some visibility, again, with the kind of content and the kind of quality in your production, the conscious intent in how you convey information to people has to be so good that when somebody's making that decision, I don't know, should I stay with the same coach or should I switch now that this season's over? You want to be the person that pops into their mind. So again, mm-hmm. that kind of competition makes us all better. If you're willing to, to, you know, do it, do the work, as you said, you know, get involved in the grind and make sure that's part of how you spend a great deal of your time. So for the clients searching, I would say this, you know, a lot of nuance to this, but uh, just hopping around from coach to coach doesn't necessarily you know, benefit you, but certainly look for the people who you think you can stay with for a while and learn from. And as I tell my clients all the time, if you've been with me for a long time. We've done everything we can. We may be hitting it so well. I know your physiology almost better than you do that it's a no-brainer. We're going to keep hitting best after best after best. But once in a while you want to go try something different. I fully endorse my clients to do that. You know, please go, you know, go work with somebody else. I can give you a list of people I would recommend who are fantastic. A lot of those clients come back because they realize, you know, it was great where they were, but it was also beneficial to go learn some other things. So again, I'm I'm somebody who looks at the future as that kind of a wide open, every contract expires at the end of every year person. Like, and you have to be ready to be so good that, as you said, Adam, you're earning that word of mouth work. So as as a note to actual clients who have those choices and thinking of the future of coaching, who do you think is going to attract those clients? Who's, and I don't mean by name, but what kind of coach is going to be the one who really succeeds at, at winning that client acquisition game? Yeah, I think... There's probably a lot of parameters people pick coaches off of. 
it, it's going to be different per client. Some, if they see someone win seven pro cards as show, they're going to be like, that's the guy I'm hiring or girl, um, you know, just because they had that much success at one show. And, you know, they may not look into the details of this coach is paying these clients to be on their team or, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of different ways that coaches can be successful and you might get blindsided, not even interview the coach and then realize you're doing the same exact thing that everyone else was doing. And maybe you don't have the exact genetics that those people had the one with that coach. And that's always the case, right? The genetic variances are going to be way different unless you have a twin. And even then in those situations, I've seen genetic, I've seen differences, you know, um, so I still think there's a type of sales tactics that work, but I do think down the road, it will get exposed as coaching keeps evolving and people will realize eventually who their best interest is, you know, behind them and people who are not. Mm -hmm. So again, you're just always a step ahead of me. I'm going to close by springing off what you just said. You reminded me that a staff member this week said, man, Joe, I, I see it so clearly. You started the whole personal nutrition coaching industry. Everybody followed you. You started a certification agency for nutrition coaching. People followed you. It started copying that. You started doing business mentorship specific for nutrition coaches. Now everybody is a business mentorship coach. And, and he was kind of like, you know, damn it. Why are they doing this? And I'm like, nah, that's perfectly normal. Like the person who creates something, that's a good thing. The person out front just has to keep recreating, being inventive and doing things better. And that's what everybody now has to do. That's the responsibility of every coach. How can I be the best for my clients? And then the best so that I can acquire new clients. And I, I will just close with this. Those of you really trying to succeed, simply look outside of our industry. This is a very normal business cycle. Everything kind of just like evolution, you know, not the phylogenetic tree model, but the grass of a field, you know, things start sprouting up and, and it's more like the grass of a field. All of these coaches are here. And then all of a sudden dominance takes over. Somebody starts becoming more dominant and then the food chain changes and so all of a sudden, now you have centralization. This is a business concept. So think of Walmart, then Amazon. You know, all of a sudden, everybody's going under because they're absorbing all of those small businesses. But then what happens? Everybody starts bucking against the big guys and say, well, they suck. They're not great at service. It's so corporate. They're killing the small guy. And all of a sudden, you start getting people looking for that boutique person who can offer better service. So everybody out there starting now trying to make it, your play is to be so good, so high service, so attentive, so innovative, so creative, so engaged that nobody wants a big name coach where you're just a number. Somebody's got two, three, 400 clients, you're not going to get shit from that person. But you've got somebody who's credible and good, who's willing to, to help you. That's somebody that you can grow with. So again, it makes everybody 
you know, in the same place, driven to grow by by quality. So anyway, sure. Adam, such such good information. It's great to use your career because you were one of the beginning building blocks of that. And and I just I think things are going to keep changing faster and faster and faster. And I'm for better coaches surviving, so all clients can have good coaches. Um, and like you said, I think evolution will take care of it. Evolve or die. The the bad coaches, you know, won't be around for a while. In a while. I- All right, guys, thanks again for listening and watching Contest Prep University. Adam and I will see you again next time.